Today's podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, and medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburn, rashes, and other types of skin damage. And the best part is that it's safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for use on all skin types and all parts of the body, even with rosacea, eczema, or acne-prone skin. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the littlest member of your family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all your family's skin health needs. I have three kids. We have injuries in our house almost daily, and so it's so nice to have active skin repair to reach for in my cabinet because I know that it's safe, natural, and non-toxic. We use it for things like burns or scrapes or cuts. My youngest daughter recently had a really bad finger injury and we were using it on her and it did not sting or burn her at all. So it was perfect. Today, as a listener of this podcast, you can get a special discount on your order of active skin repair. Visit activeskinrepair.com to learn more and to get 20% off your order, use code no one told us. That's activeskinrepair.com code no one told us for 20% off your order. As a mom of three, I know how important it is to have quality products that make life easier instead of harder, and that's why I absolutely love Coterie diapers. Coterie diapers are super soft, absorbent, and hypoallergenic, plus the best part is you can subscribe to have them delivered right to your doorstep and never have to worry about running low. Use code no one told us for 20% off all of Coterie's products today. Welcome to No One Told Us, the podcast that tells the truth about parenting and talks about all the stuff you wish you knew before having kids. I am your host, Rachel Shepardota, and today I'm so excited to talk with Dr. Sarah Reardon. And Dr. Sarah is a board-certified pelvic floor therapist, wife, and mom of two. And her Instagram page, The Vagina Whisperer, is a go-to resource for taking care of your pelvic floor before, during, and after pregnancy. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I would love if you would just start with telling us a little bit about you and your background and what led you to become uh, the Vagina Whisperer, which is a huge title. (laughs) Right. Thank you. So I, um, as you just already kind of um, shared, I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. I've been a pelvic floor PT for 17 years. It's all that I've done after uh, graduate school. And I really specialized in pelvic health right out of grad school because I loved working with this patient population. I thought it was fascinating to understand more about my own body, but then also work with people who I just kept hearing over and over, like, why didn't anybody tell me about this sooner? Or I wish I would have known about this sooner. And it just impacts their quality of life in such a positive way. And so I just fell in love with the patients. And then I have two kiddos, a six and an eight-year-old. And when I was going through my own pregnancies, I just was like, gosh, I know all of this information. And I feel like everybody should know this. I don't think that it should just be like, hey, I was lucky enough to pick this field and I, I'm privy to it. So that's how I started the Vagina Whisper Instagram page, which has grown just so much over the past um, six years and led to like my online exercise platform for pregnancy and postpartum and just really in an effort to make these exercises and this information more accessible and just normalize the conversation. I love that. And it's so unfortunate because I know like I have a pretty um, like international audience on my Instagram page. I don't know about you, but I always hear them talk about it in such a way that they're like shocked that we don't have this as standard care in the U.S. where, you know, other countries are getting like six weeks of, of free pelvic floor therapy after they have a baby. It's so crazy. 
It is. And I think, you know, there's such a spectrum. And I really think that, you know, after kind of looking at where we are, I think the U.S. is really in the middle. So there are a lot of European nations that their whole support system for parents and mothers is just completely different. Um, You know, I think pelvic floor physical therapy postpartum that's government paid for is one aspect, but everything from parental leave to kind of work-life balance and childcare access. But then there are other countries where people are like, I don't, there are no doctors or physical therapists here. And, you know, I can't even talk about my vagina or my pelvic floor because there's nobody who, you know, to even go to. And so I think that we do fall somewhere in the middle. And mm-hmm. and I do see the needle moving. I think over the past five years, social media has really helped, you know, provide a platform to have more of these conversations like you and I are having and just increase awareness that like, oh, there is this specialized therapy that can help moms after giving birth or even prevent issues during pregnancy. Yeah. I think that what you just said about like normalizing, and I know you say this, let's normalize the conversation, but not normalize the problem, which I love so much because I I will never forget. I was um, maybe seven or eight months postpartum after my first baby. I decided, okay, I want to like get back into exercising. I'm going to go for a run. I peed my entire self. Like I had pee just dripping down my legs. I completely wet my pants and it was so embarrassing. I was in the park and I had to come home and I told my husband, like, I didn't even have to pee. Like, I didn't even feel like I had to pee. It just was coming. And then I remember another time I thought maybe that was a one-off. Another time I went to a kickboxing class, I couldn't do a jumping jack without peeing. Right. And I feel like you hear these jokes where it's like, oh, you know, I've had three kids. I can't laugh anymore without wearing a diaper. Right. You hear all of these like little jokes and it, it normalizes it, but not in a great way because parents and moms don't realize that like, maybe it shouldn't be happening. Um, Right. And I think it's, you know, I think what's helpful, the jokes and they help us bring levity to what can feel like a heavy kind of embarrassing topic. And so I think that there is something positive about that. But I think a lot of the messaging over the years has been, oh, now that you're a mom, this is just your new body. This is just normal for mom. But then it's like, but there's no solution. And that was offered. And now I'm like, there is a solution and it may not get you completely dry, but I think it can at least help you feel empowered and like less fearful that either you're going to make it worse or that you can't do the things that you want to do. And and I just, it's so interesting because there's so much focus on really important things postpartum, like mental health or breastfeeding and lactation. And I'm like, your pelvic floor is affected by these things and these things affect your pelvic floor. So you know, with breastfeeding and lactation, there's a change in your pelvic floor because your estrogen levels are, are changing and that can cause discomfort with intercourse or mm. a higher risk of leakage. Or, um, you know, even with mental health, I'm like, they're like, oh, go exercise. I'm like, people can't kickbox, they can't run. So the things that help them feel like themselves or help with their stress or anxiety are not accessible to them anymore. And we're missing that whole piece that helps them do the things that they want to do. And so, Again, I think it is just kind of just normalizing talking about these things, which is awesome. And, you know, why I feel so fortunate to have this conversation with you and your community, um, but not just be like, oh, yeah, they're normal, kind of just deal with it. Because then we do all end up in diapers. And I don't want that to be my destiny. You know? no, that cannot be my normal. I refuse to wear a diaper at 34 if I don't have to. Um, and I love what you said about like how uh, it's just all connected, right? It's all related. And to do the things that we want to do and that make us feel like we're taking care of ourselves. Like you're right. The pelvic floor has everything to do with that. And I also talk to a lot of moms who might, you know, 
not all of us are ready for sex, like immediately, or even within a few months. And I think that's fine to normalize too. But what about, you know, the people who want to get back to that type right. of relationship with their partner and it hurts and right. it feels really different and pelvic floor therapy can help a lot with that too. Right. Totally. And, you know, the research is really showing that nine out of 10 moms have pain with sex the first time they have sex after giving birth. And I'm like, nobody tells you that. Nobody's like, hey, this can happen. And these are some of the things that you can do. Use a lubricant, take some deep breaths, make sure that you're healed, like that your, you know, perineal tear is healed or that you, you know, your, your abdominal incision isn't causing you discomfort. Like, it's just like thumbs up, get back to it. And then you start feeling like something's wrong with you because nobody warned you, hey, these are things can ha- that can happen. These are things to help. And if that isn't better still after those things, I'm like, maybe check in with the PT. And, you know, I saw a mom who was 11 months postpartum and she was just like, I can't have sex. It's so painful. I saw her three times and it was a hundred percent resolved. Oh my God. And she's just like, I suffered for 10 months and I just felt like I was broken. And literally within like a couple sessions, I just feel like, like happy, but also frustrated that I dealt with this for so long because nobody told me that there was an option for help. And so I think we just, um, everything from painful sex to urinary leakage to cesarean scar restriction, like people can't have their babies lay on their bellies or they can't, you know, wear their babies or they can't have their baby lay on their tummy and they can't wear jeans. So it's, it's just things that we don't think about that feel small, but they really do affect someone in such a big way. Do you find that, that most moms are ready at six months or, or six weeks? I'm sorry. Um, do you find that most moms are ready at six weeks or, you know, do you think that that's, it varies for like exercise and sex and all the things that we're supposed to be able to get back to at just six weeks postpartum? Totally. Um, I mean, I, I don't know who came up with that number. <laughs> like, where is it? It wasn't a mom, you know? It wasn't no, a definitely was mom. not a mom. It was not a mom. It was it a was, man. Exactly. So, I mean, I will say I didn't get back to having sex after my second kiddo until I was 12 weeks postpartum. And it wasn't even because I was like, oh, am I ready? I'm, not. I'm like, I can't even function right now. Like, no, I'm still, exactly. It's the last thing on your mind. I'm just trying to brush my teeth once a day, like let alone yeah. get busy, you know, and like we're sleeping yeah. in separate rooms and I'm up all night with the baby. So I think it's, we just need a little bit we need a, a free pass to do what we need to do without the additional pressure of exercise and sex, which I have no idea why those are the two things we focus on at six weeks. Right. Cause I feel like it's the last thing a lot of people worry about. Um, I would say that it totally depends. There are some moms that I see at four weeks. They're like, I feel really ready for sex. And I feel like I could get back to the gym. I think what's important is to take it slow in the sense of if you're going back to working out, you really want to focus on rehabilitating your core, working on your pelvic floor, because you went through a 10-month pregnancy and then childbirth. And so four weeks is just like, okay, you might just be not bleeding by then. And you still have a lot of rehab to re-strengthen and recover. Um, I would say that most people, I usually say like, when you feel ready, try to go back and eight to 12 weeks is a little bit a more reasonable time for like, make sure your stitches are healed, give it a try, you know, use these tips for sex, use these tips for exercise. And if it's uncomfortable, like don't push through, that's a sign that your body might need a little bit more one-on-one support. 
This episode is brought to you by Coterie because even though you may leak, your baby doesn't have to. Coterie diapers keep your baby's skin up to three times drier with the super absorbent materials they use, and they offer up to 12-hour leak protection to help nighttime wake-ups due to leakage. Coterie diapers hold up to 70% more liquid capacity than the leading brand, and I absolutely love them. I have been using them for my daughter's entire life. She's now one. I used, I was very brand loyal to a brand I had before, and now I feel the ones that I used to use for years with my other kids, and they feel like sandpaper in comparison, honestly. Coteries are truly the softest diapers I've ever felt, and Lenny is my only baby who's never had a diaper rash ever. So start your Coterie obsession today with this very special offer for our listeners. Get 20% off any of Coterie's diapering products. They have great wipes and training pants for toddlers as well. When you spend at least $40 on your first purchase, use code no one told us and grab the link in the show notes. Enter no one told us at checkout. So you mentioned that after this like long pregnancy and birth and everything um, that, you know, there are so many reasons why we might have a weaker pelvic floor or need some help or some therapy, do you find that even for moms who didn't give birth vaginally, who had a C-section, that they really benefit from pelvic floor therapy as well? Like it doesn't just have to do with the type of birth you had, I'm assuming. Right. Totally. So, I mean, pregnancy itself changes your body and that really sometimes can have a more dramatic effect than even birth because your ligaments are stretching, your pelvic floor is lengthening, your abdominal wall is lengthening. And so there are so many changes during pregnancy that regardless of, regardless of what method you birth, you're likely going to have like need pelvic floor and core rehab. And then 33% of moms are giving birth in the U.S. via C-section. And there are so many things like after any surgery, I mean, after like a knee surgery, a shoulder surgery, you go see a physical therapist to help rehab. And so it's the same thing for a cesarean section with respect to working on your scar, which I think for a lot of C-section moms can feel very emotional and scary. And actually working on your scar can be very healing and it can help decrease pain, improve bladder function, improve bowel function, all of those things. So um, I think that's an important piece. And then also just working on core recovery. I mean, it's it's really hard to reconnect with this part of your body. So I feel like um, it's really important that you take those steps to be able to do that. So regardless of what method of birth, whether, and even if it was six years ago, 20 years ago, like we still see moms after cesarean births and can do a lot of work to help them. Amazing. And so when you say like work on their scar, what does that actually mean? I know it's so interesting. So we do a lot of what's called scar mobilization or scar massage. When scar tissue heals, it kind of gets a little bit stickier and it doesn't move the way that pre-surgical tissue moves. Like it doesn't glide and move. And so what happens is that tissue can get really stuck And so we do a lot of massage above, below, and on the scar so that that tissue can start to um, move a little bit more freely. So it takes almost a year for those new tissues to kind of lay down. And so as your abdominal wall is healing, we want to make sure that tissue is moving really freely so it doesn't get stuck. Scar restriction can lead to um, pain, abdominal pain. It can lead to incomplete bladder emptying, constipation painful sex because your abdominal wall fascia connects to your pelvic floor. And so we want to make sure that that tissue is moving really freely to minimize any of those things. And then also, um, I really suggest using silicone on scars. So there are these silicone scar strips that you can put on. You have to wait until your scars completely heal, like there's no scabbing or sutures, but that can help soften the scar so that it's less red, moves a little bit freer. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something that people do after other surgeries. And so I I definitely recommend that post-cesarean moms do it as well. 
cool. And so is that something that people can do by themselves, like to themselves? Or is that something that you always need help from a, a therapist to do? No, you can totally do it on your own. I think most people after having a C-section are scared to touch their yeah. scar. It feels yeah. like, how much pressure should I put on it? Am I going to hurt myself? So I do think it's helpful to have some support and guidance through that process. Um, I have a whole kind of postpartum recovery series in my my membership that kind of walks people through like hey if this is your scar like this is how deeply you can press these are the different motions that you can make on that scar um if your scar is healed and you're like eight to 12 weeks post-surgically like it's okay to work around it and then after 12 weeks you can work directly on it but you're not going to injure yourself um it just feels kind of scary and it is so if that feels like you it's totally fine to get one-on-one -on -one support okay that's great to know and there's something else that I wanted to ask you because I will make a confession. I've never gotten pelvic floor therapy. Okay. You're <laughs> no, not I really, <laughs> I really know that I could benefit from it, but, and I've talked with friends about this too. Like I wasn't even aware of it with my first kid, but after my second, or I guess right before my second, I was kind of like, oh, well, there's no point because I'm just going to get pregnant again anyway. And then, you know, I'll have to start the process over again. And I think a lot of people kind of feel that way. Like, oh, there's no point to like, get back in shape now or work on my pelvic floor now because I'm going to just have more kids. So is it beneficial to start before pregnancy, during pregnancy, or does it really not matter until after the baby's born? I'm like all of the above, Rachel. So, <laughs> like, I mean, in my ideal world, you would work with a pelvic floor PT during pregnancy. I always say it's like pregnancy is, you know, preparing for, you're training for a race, you're training for a marathon. You wouldn't Truly. just go into birth without training. You wouldn't go run a marathon without training. So why are moms giving birth without working towards that? And because your body goes through so many changes, like urinary incontinence and prolapse, so, you know, all these things can start occurring during pregnancy, you know, hip pain, low back pain, and there are things that you can do to help. So during pregnancy, I think is awesome in the ideal world. But then definitely for birth preparation. So in your third trimester, working on like how to push during childbirth, how to breathe, how to recover after a C-section. Like there's a lot of things that can, you can proactively do to help set yourself up for success. And then I would say if you were, you know, just having a baby, six weeks postpartum is a great time to check in right after you see your doctor or midwife because you've kind of gotten clear for any medical stuff and like, hey, let's start working on rehab. Um, but it can be, you know, a long time later. I do think that there's a benefit seeing a PT between pregnancies. And the reason is because you want to be in the best possible shape going through that experience. Like if you're going to run another race, like you kind of want to train for the other race. You don't want to be like, oh, I ran a marathon two years ago. Let me just try another one again, you know? So there's a lot of benefits to re-strengthening your core and pelvic floor to minimize how much damage or how many changes will happen during um during that and i think a lot of people they don't always have the first birth that they want there's a lot that we don't know and so i think it it's really empowering for them to feel more prepared going into a future birth that's so true and i think a lot of us also just have been raised in this culture to like be ashamed of our body and to really not learn enough about our body and so all of that i think ties into this like kind of shame and embarrassment also with trying to see somebody for this yeah. And just to not prioritize ourselves. I mean, we yeah. are prioritizing raising kiddos and mm -hmm. that takes up the majority of our time and energy. And so you're not alone in feeling like, where does this even fit in? Like, again, I'm still trying to just shower and brush my teeth every day. <laughs> so totally. um, we often put ourselves at the bottom of that list of priorities. And I think some of this is just to be like, hey, I matter. 
the way that I feel, the way that I function is important. And oftentimes we always say like, you've got to put the mask on the parent before we can take care of the kid, but we don't, we don't do that in our daily lives. And I struggle with that as well. Me too. Um, so I think once you do come up for air, I think it's really important to be able to prioritize yourself because this is a long game. We're thinking about the, the, this is, you know, we have a long time that we want to keep functioning and our body will continue to change and our hormones will change. So the more that you can do now, I think the better you can set yourself up for success in the long run. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's kind of what I'm guilty of is like, it always seems like just another thing on the to-do list, another thing I have to fit in. I have to find childcare while I'm at the appointment. Like all of that stuff just feels like so much. And so I just never do it, but I, I am done having kids now. And I definitely think that, um, it's something I want to explore more because it sounds like it would be so beneficial for so many reasons. Um, for people who maybe don't live near a public ther- a floor therapist or who just really truly do not have the time or the capacity or the resources or the support to go see someone one-on-one in person, what are some things that they can do to just help support and strengthen their pelvic floor maybe at home? So there are so many things. And I think that they're um, kind of what you were talking about, like it's hard to get to an appointment or, I mean, I think there's so many more resources now. I think that there are virtual physical therapy sessions that a lot of people do. Um, we have kiddos come into our clinic everywhere. I mean, whether you're six weeks old or six years old, like we have kids come in all the time and they either like we have our front office person hold the baby or a kiddo sits in the waiting room and does the iPad or whatever. So I think most of these clinics are pretty welcoming to moms and parents and um, because we know that it is a challenge. Um, and then I think there's a lot of online um, programs as well. Like I know I started, you know, my VHive membership because it was like, what can we do to help people who can't make it to physical therapy, who can't afford it, who don't have access to it, who don't have transportation or just who don't have time. Mm -hmm. And so there's some online, you know, platforms um, where you can just do a little 10 minute workout and it walks you through, how do I do a pelvic floor contraction? Where do I start? Do I start strengthening? Do I start relaxation? So just a lot of more, a lot more options for people nowadays. That's awesome. That's so good to know because yeah, like you said, there's just so many, um, things to consider when, especially for moms that are like brand new. I remember after my first and even after my second and third, like taking a baby out of the house or multiple kids out of the house or getting them ready for a sitter or whatever, is just like so daunting sometimes, but like it's you said before, daunting. like you're worth it. Yeah. It's yeah. still daunting. And I mean, my thing. kids are six and eight and I have a friend who was traveling to Ireland and she's like, I'm going to Ireland. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of scared with her baby. And I was like, I don't like going to Costco with my kid. Right. Like, <laughs> right. like that still stresses me out. You I'm still so, have to get in the right mindset for that. I know. I'm still like shuttling them into the car. And so it's like, it's, you know, that these are all normal experiences. And I think a lot of it is like finding what works for you. Sometimes people want to get out of their house and going to a class is like what works for them. And sometimes people are like, I just don't have access to that. Like, what can I do from home? So right. again, there's a, a lot more resources now than I think there used to be. For sure. Are there any exercises postpartum that you would not necessarily recommend for moms that, you know, have had trouble with their pelvic floor? Like, are there certain things that you would recommend or stay away from as far as exercise? Yeah, that's a great question. So I really think that the first, um, the fourth trimester should really be on rebuilding your pelvic floor and core strength. So regardless of what you were doing during pregnancy or pre-pregnancy, I really think you want to, you want to think about this, like you are rebuilding the foundation of your house and your foundation Mm -hmm. is your pelvic floor and core. We always talk about core, 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 but your pelvic floor is at the base of your abdominal cavity and that supports all of your pelvic organs. 
And when you're standing or running or jumping, like all of that pressure is going on your pelvic floor and that has to be able to support those activities. So really that fourth trimester, I'm like walk, you know, do some strengthening, gentle strengthening. And then after the 12 week mark is really when I'm like, okay, now you can try to do some high impact stuff like running, jumping, HIIT workouts, CrossFit workouts, but you're taking it slower. You're not going back to where you were pre-pregnancy. You're starting at lower on the level of intensity. So maybe dropping your weight, dropping your number of reps, um, you know, just doing lower impact stuff until you can build up that strength to get back to where you were. So I really encourage waiting until 12 weeks postpartum to get back to any high impact um, workouts. Okay, perfect. And can you just, I realized that at the beginning of the episode, we didn't even necessarily define what the pelvic floor is. So for anybody that doesn't know, maybe we should get back to basics for just a quick second and talk about what is even the pelvic floor. That's a great question. So the pelvic floor is a basket of muscles that sit at the base of your pelvis. Um, it sits like a hammock. It attaches from um, the tailbone in the back to the pubic bone in the front and kind of slings side to side. In that hammock of muscles are your reproductive and pelvic organs. So your bladder, which holds urine, your rectum, which holds poop, your ovaries, your uterus, growing baby during pregnancy. So that hammock supports all of those organs. And during pregnancy, as your baby is growing, that hammock is lengthened and stretches out because it's supporting more weight. And so that's why often you'll experience pelvic floor issues like leakage or heaviness or prolapse during pregnancy itself. Um, the pelvic floor also has the openings to the urethra where urine exits, the anus where poop exits, and then the vaginal opening for vaginal intercourse, um, menstruation, and vaginal birth. So that's why it plays a role in all of these different functions and seasons of our life where, I mean, everything from sex to peeing to pooping to birth, it's like there's a role of the pelvic floor in all of those things. And um, it changes over the course of life, but during pregnancy and birth, I think it goes through a pretty huge transformation. For sure. And so since you mentioned it is supporting so much weight and so many different uh, organs, does it matter how big your baby is? Because like there are some moms who have a five or six pound little peanut baby. And then there are other moms who have like a 10, 11 pound baby. So does it make a difference how big your baby is? So, you know, I would say up to about 10 pounds. It's not, it, the research is showing that most people have, aren't at a higher risk for any issues. Once you get over, I think it's like a nine and a half to 10 pound baby, like their baby's considered like larger birth weight. And those moms are at a greater risk for certain things like pelvic organ prolapse or urinary leakage. However, the more births you have, you're at a higher risk. There are um, doing higher impact exercises like running, jumping, CrossFit, you know, things like that are are risk factor. And then also genetics. You know, if you mm -hmm. have a mother or an aunt or a grandmother who had prolapse or weakness, that's also a risk factor. So there are some things that are in our control and some things that are out of our control. I do, however, think that there's this thing about measuring baby's birth weight and they're like, you're going to have a big baby those measurements can be completely off. Yes. You can be within a pound to a pound and a half off. And so you're thinking, I need to get induced at 38 weeks because right. they say I have a nine pound baby when that is not necessarily the case at all. Right. And again, unless you have a giant baby over 10 pounds, it may not make a difference for you. So um, I think there's more focus that needs to be put on how we birth birthing in different positions, movement during birth, mm -hmm. um, when people are getting the epidural, how long they're pushing, a lot of those things really can have a result in pelvic floor function after birth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cause I think 
it makes sense when you think about how some people are instructed to push before they feel the urge to push and, right. and all of that must make it make a difference, right? Right. I mean, how long you're pushing. So pushing over two hours. So if you want to labor down or you're not ready to push, that makes a difference if you're pushing and straining your muscles. Mm -hmm. Um, if you are holding your breath while you're pushing for some people, that technique works fine for others, holding your breath makes it actually harder to push effectively. Mm -hmm. Ultimately during birth, your pelvic floor does not push your baby out. Your uterus contracting pushes your baby out. Your pelvic floor just needs to get out of the way. Think of it like a tunnel. And we're just trying to like help lengthen the pelvic floor so that the muscles move out of the way and the baby can come down the birth canal. So exhaling as you're breathing and being in a, you know, a different position, maybe sometimes on your side or in hands and knees can help facilitate mm -hmm. that versus just lying on your back. Yeah. So I definitely think there are other things that we can do to facilitate, you know, preserving the pelvic floor as well. That's so true. Those images you see on TV of moms giving birth on their back. It's like, I had my first, I was pushing, like you said, I was pushing for like two and a half hours. And eventually the only way he came out was I was like in happy baby pose and yeah. like on, on my side with my knees way up. And then my second two, I gave birth on hands and knees and it was a million times easier. Like that's incredible. slid right out. And that's it was incredible. Amazing. <laughs> I know. And I think that we just, it's not that this is like sidelines the right way or on your back the right way. I think we just want to give people options, right? Exactly, Instead of saying like, yeah. this is the only way that it can be done because that's exactly. not true. Mm -hmm. I think it's just the way it's been done for a long time, but we would hope mm -hmm. that medicine has improved over the past 30 years. <laughs> you would hope. I know you can only hope. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. I have one last question for you, which is something that I try to remember to ask everybody that comes on the podcast, which is what is something that you feel like no one told you before you had a kid or before you had your second baby or, you know, just before you became a mom in general, what's something that you wish people would talk about more? It could um, be pelvic oh, floor related or not. Yeah, it's not pelvic floor related. There's three things, and I'll, but I'll keep them short. I think one that breastfeeding is hard. Mm -hmm. I had only seen moms kind of pop the baby on the boob and it looked really easy and natural. And it was not the case for me. I mm -hmm. had a really difficult time. Um, no one also told me that once you're done breastfeeding or lactating, that it can, you can have a lot of anxiety, like your hormones completely change. Yes. And I thought it was going like totally crazy after I was finished breastfeeding. And my friends were like, oh no, that's like normal. Like anxiety is normal. And I was like, well, nobody told me, you know? Um, and then I think honestly, the biggest one is the effect that having kids would have on my marriage or my yeah. relationship. Um, it just was completely out of the blue. I mean, we really struggled that first year after having our kids. And um, I think that looking back, it wasn't like we would have done things totally different. I think I just would have known like, okay, this is temporary. This yes. is a season. We're both kind of falling apart right now. And, um, just been a little bit more mindful and prepared for that shift versus thinking like, oh my gosh, we're getting a divorce. We're never going to make it because it is temporary, but I just was completely blown away and I felt like something was wrong with us, but yeah. I think it's more normal than we realize. Oh my gosh. I can relate to that so much. I could do a whole episode just on that. And I probably yes. will at some point because yeah, I think that is again, such a, a common experience that nobody really wants to talk about because they feel like it must say something bad about their marriage or their relationship or their partner to feel no, that way. So but it also feels sharing. really lonely when you think you're the only one going through it. But I think more yeah. people go through it than we realize. Absolutely. How could they not? If they say that they're not, they're lying. I, I know. <laughs> Don't follow those people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah. Where can people find you and all of your amazing resources for pelvic floor health? 
Um, so I am on Instagram as the Vagina Whisperer. I'm on TikTok as the Vag Whisperer. TikTok doesn't like the word vagina. Um, but then my <laughs> website is thevaginawhisperer.com. I've got tons of blog posts and like free downloads on birth and pregnancy and strengthening. Um, and then you can just learn more about my exercise program on there. So um, yeah, thank you Perfect. so, so much for having me. I'm just um, super thrilled to be able to share this information. I am so happy that um, people are going to get to hear your wisdom too. And this is such an important topic. So thank you so much for coming on and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.